where we have been was uh, in verse 8 through 10, that great grace section. I've got this up here, but this is from last week, actually. I didn't even bring my markers. What did you say? Hey, still a good subject. It's good enough. We'll continue on with it, right? How can you not talk about grace when you're in the book of Ephesians? But anyway, um, there's a definite break in from what we were talking about. When we were in verse 7, I think it's incredible to think in the ages to come that He's going to show His exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ. And, of course, He's going to put His glory on display and He's going to use us uh, as a way of showing His glory. And just an incredible book, Ephesians is, what what He has done, what He continues to do. Then it says in 8 through 10, we're saved by grace. And uh, the, the emphasis is all there, all God, all grace. And uh, when, when you think of that, you just want to magnify Him even more. What He does, uh, Paul does do now is kind of shift gears instead of uh, continuing on with that thought, which He's been doing for really a, a chapter and a half. <laughs> you think about what God has done that way. While he's shifting gears, he's really staying on the same plan for what Ephesians is about. Uh, It's not that uh, he writes a book and he just writes a little bit here and a little bit there. Oh, yeah, let me put this little thought in. But if you were to go back to chapter 1, verse 10, and I seem to be talking loud if you happen to be talking up here, but there are fans running back there, so I'm not so sure if you hear me very good. So-so? It's all right? Okay. We're okay? All right. Uh, I've been told that I'm a loud mouth, so that works okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bill knows about the spring thing. Yeah. Zach and <laughs> chapter one, verse ten says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. It's about His plan, isn't it? about His great sovereign plan and bringing everything together. And, of course, the the people and bringing the church together in its fullness is really uh, what this is about as it is meant to glorify God, which is what everything is about, right? So He's putting the church together. church is being put together, and we're kind of moving in to that in this section as it's been emphasizing so much of who He is. But we can recognize that, first of all, it's all done by God's power, It's all a God thing. And I think it's astonishing that He would take sinners like us and put us into a building like the church and then start making us holy until eventually one day we will be in the full image of Jesus Christ without sin. And uh, it's just an incredible thought that He'd take us, take all sorts of people from all over the world, every tribe, nation, tongue, and all throughout the ages, from the Old Testament time period to the New Testament time period, bring them in to be one people. That's incredible. He breaks down all the barriers to to do that. Now, there's a problem, and we've already seen that. Of course, Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, says that man is in his sin, and because in his sin, he will build barriers. And mankind is good in building barriers. And uh, when we uh, look at it, even in the church, there are barriers. Always barriers being put up. But from all the way down past, you know, you can go back to ages past, and you can think of slaves, for instance, slaves and the free people, 
and the free people who owned the slaves, many of them didn't treat the slaves like human beings. As a matter of fact, they saw them as animals, uh, didn't treat them as humans. Women were looked down upon by men and uh, saw them as inferior. The Greeks were so proud of their culture, their language, everything that they were about, their whole heritage, that they saw two kinds of people. It was the Greeks and the barbarians. And so that's how they viewed it. Of course, the Romans looked and they were the, the great. The Jews looked at themselves and said, we are the greatest and everybody else is what? They're called Gentiles. So the Greek was a Gentile. They were always warring against each other, always struggling. And you look at the, uh, the Jews and the uh, Muslims or Arabs today, you know, there are barriers all over the place. But even in the church, you have walls. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians where he talked about their... Uh, one is following one uh, person like Paul, and another is following Apollos. Another one is uh, the sect of Christ. <laughs> so they all had their little divisions there, and of course Paul kind of went off on that. The, even the Ephesians probably had disunity there, because they're sinners too, even though they're saved. But there was uh, a definite difference between Jews and Gentiles, and I think Paul is going to bring that out of showing how this is all being formed together. What God did is He took the Jews, sovereignly chose them to be a special people. And they were to get His blessings and to um, be a channel to the Gentile people and to take that news um, about who God was and that uh, He is a gracious, saving God. But they never did really do that as a, uh, as a whole, as a nation. They never fulfilled the role and instead, they really chose to ignore or condemn the Gentiles. And when they did that, uh, they did not want to witness to them, and they had terrible attitudes to the Gentiles. And even Peter had an attitude against the Gentiles. God had to teach him a lesson, and you remember in Acts 10? Remember Acts 10, and where um, God um, gave him a vision about eating uh, animals, uh, flesh uh, that uh, he shouldn't have been eating as a Jew. And God was showing the illustration that everything has been opened up here. He was corrected. He was to go into all the world. And Peter was to open that uh, gate up to have the key. And of course, Paul was the one that was the apostle to the Gentiles as a whole. But all the, uh, the apostles were to, to take it to uh, not only the Jews, but uh, the Gentiles. And then you have to ask, well, why did God make Israel distinct then? If there are all these barriers and He knows how sinful man is, why didn't He just pick out uh, His people just from all over the world? Well, number one, He wanted to, to take the Jewish people, which started with Abraham, who was actually a pagan, wasn't a Jew yet, He was the father of the Jews, but God's going to take Him out of the, the pagan culture and He was going to show that His people didn't live like other people like other nations, like other men. And so that's one thing that he was going to operate as uh, they followed certain dietary regulations. And um, as far as I think the second reason would be he didn't want them marrying, intermarrying, amalgamating with, with other people. They were separate. They were people to be set apart. Well, the Jews had attitudes because God had blessed them. He didn't bless the rest of the world. So... What do you think they're saying? We are it. Every one of us, we're it. God chose us. Everybody else is bad. We don't even want them to.
to go into the kingdom. Jonah is a pretty good witness of that, if you remember Jonah, right? And Jonah uh, did not want to go to them because he knew that God was so gracious, God was so merciful, that he could save them too. He, he had that idea down. And you know what? It happened. God saved them from destruction. So, I think it went with the whole nation. And by the time you get to the New Testament, they have that uh, same attitude. Uh, even when a Jew would be out of the country, they'd come back and enter the homeland, they'd shake off the dust off their sandals and off their clothes, get rid of that foreign, alien uh, germs that they have gathered on them and, and a symbolism. Because they didn't want to corrupt the uh, Jewish homeland with Gentile dust. That's some of the kind of the thoughts that they even see. But uh, even in Samaria, uh, Samaritans were part Jews, uh, part Gentile, and the Jews would go out of their way if they were heading north. For instance, they'd make sure to go way on the eastern side and go away from Samaria. Go out of your way to get to your destiny because they didn't want to get into Samaria. That's that's how much they hated those people. And, uh, you know, it goes on and on and on. The Jewish people, even when they became Christians, they tried to uh, do their Judaizing amongst the church, uh, tried to make the church Jewish if, uh, even if they were Gentiles. And so if you're a Gentile, you had to uh, do certain things and dietary regulations and the whole gamut. And that's where the first church council uh, finally had together. And uh, they said, no, uh, the Gentiles don't have to do the same thing as the Jews, and circumcision would be another one of those uh, things that they were concerned with. So legalism was to be abolished. Well, it wasn't necessarily abolished even in the, uh, the early church. Two main obstacles in all of this. One is the condition in sin. If you're a Gentile, you're in sin. And just like it says in Ephesians 2, everybody's in that, right? That's a major obstacle. We all have that obstacle. Number two is their position as far as God's economy was concerned, as far as His plan. Um, they, at least according to the Jews, were way outside of what God's uh, system and His plan would be, at least so they thought. So it would be a tremendous thing that somebody that would be a Gentile who is in sin in that position, that he could ever come to Christ. What a tremendous thing. This is awesome. That That's an impossible thing, isn't it? And, of course, you think of Ephesians 2, first three verses. And we see dead in trespasses and sins, walked according to the course of this world, prince of the power of the air, spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Most of the uh, Ephesian church is made up of Gentiles. There are Jews here. There are Gentiles. And so Paul's going to show how this happens. When they realize how tremendous it is and really how impossible it is that you can come to Christ, then you start to understand the greatness of God's power. You start to understand God's grace when you see that it is impossible not only for the Gentile, but for the Jew too. And so that's where we uh, we uh, head into this section now. As he's talked about grace, 
Now he's going to show how his grace went to Gentile people and brings them near to God along with the Jew and puts them in to this one body called the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for all that You give us. You are a God of great power, a God of just awesome, amazing grace. And we are so convinced that we would be so lost without You and what You did to awaken people that were dead spiritually, people who did not seek after You, did not want You, people who hated You, and You brought them in, adopt them into your family, and Lord, how can we not thank you every day for what you have done? You're a great God, and uh, help us tonight as we look into your word, as we try to understand a little bit more of the plan of the ages that you have. In your son's name, amen. The barrier is broken. Uh, pick it up at verse 11. And twelve. After he's talked about by grace we're saved, and of course he's going to give us the works um, to do, and they were planned. Those works that we do were planned before the foundation. Now he says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Once alienated from Christ. And, if I'm not mistaken, that's all of us. Alienated from Him. And a couple of words that kind of stick out um, are uncircumcision and circumcision. Circumcision really is um, a sign, a physical sign, externally, of what is to be the spiritual inward state of of the people as they would be um, desiring to follow God. That's what it was meant to be. The separation of Jews and Gentiles was symbolized by this. And that's what God did. He, He did it on purpose. He did separate the two when He decided to work through one nation for a time that they too would come into the plan. So the the symbol is there. You have the circumcision and uh, the uncircumcision. What do the Jews do with this? Well, they see the uncircumcised. It says in verse 11, remember this. Remember what you were. You were Gentiles in the flesh, in the flesh, I'm talking about spiritual things here, but you're called uncircumcision by the ones who are the circumcised. The Jews call you the uncircumcised. That means if you're not circumcised, then you're not with God's people. And so the Jews really made that a dividing point. They took advantage of that. But when you look at this, it's external, isn't it? This physical circumcision. It's an emphasis on the external, purely physical. Um, nationality by birth uh, family blood everything is all involved in who you're born with if you weren't born in the Jews then you're out tough that's it everybody else is going to hell we're going to heaven because we're Jews that's in our bloodline that's the way it, it, it caused Jewish boasting 
Alright, just because you're born into this, this made you automatically. That's not what God ever said, but that's the way that they understood it. So they, they were blind to this whole meaning of what God's truth was. Now, to take that into our times, and even in the church, we have a lot of divisions. Start thinking of them. Um, the church has, for one thing, denominations, right? Denominations have denominations of the denominations. Of the denominations. <laughs> and I don't know, you can, you, can, you can pick any denomination. Baptist, how many different denominations? Well, they have Southern Baptist. used to be what I think was Northern Baptist. You have the... Um, uh, the Free Will Baptist, um, Independent Baptist, uh, we can go on and on, right? A lot of different kind of Baptists. Presbyterian, John, PCA, OPC, you've got div- different divisions out of PCA now, I'm understanding. Some of those guys want to go liberal and <laughs> just like the Baptists, right? Lutherans, same thing. You can pick any denomination and they all have one area that they go and another area and another area and then they branch off of them and, and it's it's what? Simple as a man. It's involved. Sometimes it can be a good thing. It, it has to be done. I think uh, the passage, there's a passage in, um, is it Corinthians? Where it says, it, it, that's what, it, there needed to be such divisions sometimes because of heresy that would arise. Um, but anyway, age. Even in the church, age seems to separate people. If somebody is a teenager, it's like they are to be constantly with the teenagers and they are not really to be mingling with the older people, ones in the 20s or 30s. <laughs> not to mention the 50-year-olds. <laughs> no, but don't we sometimes divide up our church with just, just that? How about race? We have our black churches. We have our white churches. We have our... Whatever, you know, you go on and on. We know about that. Education, we, we divide that way. Jobs, by, by what a job, a person has a job, we don't associate with people who have jobs that are way less. Or uh, family heritage, with uh, the bloodline that somebody has come up through, they're much better than somebody that comes from across the tracks. The way that people dress, uh, abilities, uh, even in the church, communion separates people. Baptism sets free. I mean, you can go on and on and on with all the different um, thoughts, even in the church or in the world. Barriers. What's the main cause of barriers? Would you say pride is? Our own selves. I think it it can cause uh, so many things to, to divide people because we're starting to gear on ourselves. We as Americans not only tend to, I know we believe that we're better than anybody else in the world. How many times have you thought that as have you grown up? I constantly am, am battling against that whenever I see different um, nationalities come into the game of, let's say, baseball. And I like to, I'd rather see a white American player out there, you know, rather than one of those, those guys that came from, uh, um, what, one of the islands. <laughs> Why would I think that way? And I get to thinking, no, no, that's not right. You know, they're they're people, but we tend to to think that way. There's there's a there's a pride that that is wrong. That's very sinful, and that's that's the thing we always have to to beat off. You know, it's it's always there, and it, of course it comes in the church. And I think the church is probably the best place where you can demonstrate um, that we are all one. You know, if if we're in Christ, 
and it's great when you can see a cross-section of what um, represents the world. You have different nationalities in a church. You don't have to have that, but at least we can have that attitude of saying, hey, if anybody who wanted to come in here, I'm, you know, I'm not going to uh, separate from. I mean, we'd like to think the best anyway. But there's still that, that pride that causes it. Well, let's, let's get to it here. What's happening? What's happening? Made in, okay, call the circumcision made in the flesh by hands at the end of verse 11. That at that time you were without Christ. So he starts off this series here of our alienation, our spiritual alienation. If we were Gentiles, and, and we're not, but uh, you know, I guess uh, to a Jew, I guess we could be considered that now, but if we weren't Jewish, at one time we would have been considered without any hope, without any hope of a Savior, no Messiah, whether you knew it or not, uh, do you think the Gentiles really had purpose for life? Do you think they really had an ultimate plan, uh, a destiny, where everything was leading to? What, what happens? What happens to people who don't have Christ? What are they looking to? Some yeah, stuff... <laughs> With hey, all the gusto is for now, right? Paul kind of said that, yeah. Huh? The Gentiles. The the Jews looked to a Messiah, whether they were looking to Him and trusting in Him and. Uh, be uh, uh, obedient with the grace that God had given them is another thing. But at least they, as a nation, they had a hope offered to them, you know, as far as the Messiah was concerned. Uh, I think I think Gentiles to a degree, or, or these people that you'd be talking about here, or, or the lost people, a lot of them are aware of God's judgment. They just don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. Um, I think it really thrives on fear, fear of the economy. Well, you know, when you're looking at the, why would they want to think about God? These people back here, they couldn't get in anyway. I mean, they were Jewish. It was over for them. No and hope then, huh? Jewish with no hope. I mean, why would you want to think about a God? Yeah, and if you and if you did see that uh, you were being proselytized and say, hey, that's pretty cool, like this, you could only go so far if you went to the temple, and that'd be the court of the Gentiles. We'll get into that in just a little bit. That's as far as you could go. I mean, at least there was a glimmer, but not much. <laughs> but yeah, you're 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 outcast. You, you don't have the hope you know, here. What would what would then be like the Jews uh, had an afterlife? So apparently the Gentiles did not. And even if you got to get into the court of the Gentiles, then did you have a hope of a afterlife somehow? Well, you would yeah. be cons- you would cons- be considered a, um, one who had been converted to a degree. You weren't fully Jewish, but at least now you're part. If you're practicing. Uh, what they did, then you would be considered to be that. But that didn't happen too often. 
And really, the reason there was a lot of proselytizing because it made you look good. There were a lot of people that, as Jesus said, went uh, went afar and brought people back. But I think Romans even talks about that. That was to make them look good. You know, they're out getting people in, you know, notches on their belt. But it really wasn't to know who the Messiah was about. It was to get people to follow their religion. Well, if they followed their religion, then did they have a hope somehow of an afterlife? Well, I guess it, if if they were in the same degree as the rest of the Jews as a whole, uh, they thought they had the hope. But if they were looking to a Messiah and being um, in the in the sense of that there would be obedience in their lives, that they would have joy and and uh, knowing about God and desiring to live that kind of godly life that that God actually had converted them and he did he did convert Gentiles but it wasn't uh, in yeah, big numbers. I'm just saying, I mean, the Jews were were not correct, you know, in their religion, but at least they had a hope. Yeah, it, <laughs> at least they had a hope. They yeah, they had the promises, the covenant, as yeah, he says later. They yeah, they were Jews, but I mean. Coming at it from the other side, if I'm a Gentile, do I ever get to a place where I have hope? I mean, is there going to be a core of the Gentiles in heaven? <laughs> I'm just saying. Is that what you're, they're thinking? You know, it, yeah, yeah. When, they're, when they're, you know, I mean, if you're a Jew and you're prophesizing and you're talking to me, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? If I just live good, I'll be, it'll be great. As a whole, that's what the Jews I mean, thought. You're going to die, and you're going to get to go to your father Abraham. I'm going to die, and where am I going to go? Well, that'd be the point. You'd want to follow this this Judaism, right? Yeah, well, that's probably what they're thinking. Nineveh. I mean, I mean, the message that Jonah gave to Nineveh. The what? Message that uh, if you're wanting to know what hope it was, Jonah preached to Nineveh, yeah. and whatever hope Jonah gave them is. I can only assume what would have been given to every other Gentile. Order. Well, I know that a lot of the Gentiles did worship many gods. That's the right. Fact, they weren't atheists. No, they weren't. But does anybody know? Um, I, I know we all, we all grew up hearing about all those gods, but does anybody know what their belief for afterlife was? I don't. I can't remember. Basically, um, what a lot of the Eastern religions are today is you can probably go back and look at um, some of the the religions from the uh, the ancient religions. Um, I think their only comfort is something like a nirvana, for instance, where you reach really nothingness or there's there's no existence. You want to get to that point. Talk to uh, a guy last week. It's real interesting. I knew we were running into some kind of uh, different kind of theology from this young man. He was looking for something for his uh, father, for Father's Day. And uh, so I said, well, what's your worldview? And he goes, worldview, and explaining what it meant. You know, what, what's your philosophy? What, what are you living on? And really, it boiled down to this, a little bit of postmodern thinking, whatever I believe is okay and what he believes is okay, uh, but then I said, well, what about what about the afterlife? What happens as far as eternity is concerned? What happens when you die? And as far as he's concerned, he will get to a better place. And I said, well, that's kind of like uh, reincarnation, right? He goes, well, yeah. I said, 
that is hopeless. And he said, oh, no, no. And, and so he started defending. He says, I, he says, I'm not a Hindu. But uh, it seems like he had read a lot of Eastern religions. So he went on to say that what he wanted to do is to get up to that point where everybody in the world would have peace. He was after peace. And so we can all get along. Yeah, Bill. So he basically made up whatever he felt like he wanted. So, but, but to back up a little bit, he was essentially a moral relativist, where it's, it's that's okay for you, but it's not okay you know, for me, and you go ahead and do your little thing, and yep. I'll do my little thing. But other than that, he basically made up whatever he wanted it to be, which in our you know, lectures from, uh, from Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort is that, that he created an idol. He created his Precisely own idol correct. of what he thought his God was going to be. He made, a, he made it up in his image, which was the ultimate... He made, it, he made God out to be his image, and that was that what he created, he wanted it to be. He just made it up. So he's setting, he's setting the standard, right? And I asked him, okay, what is the standard then? Because he was doing the postmodern thing, and all now all of a sudden he was putting forth, like what you're saying, it was his standard that he was putting forth. But he would never condemn what I had. What I had was okay, yeah. but it was something I said to him that this is completely different than what you're having. And he says, oh, no, not really. He says it's just the way that you're looking at it. I want to work here. I could just imagine what kind of a day you have sometimes when people come in here. And they come in the best time Yeah. Well, it, but what you, do, what you like to understand is where do they get this? And like what you're saying, here's the summary of it all. They make up what is comfortable to them. As far as his afterlife was, it was some kind of a reincarnation, but it was a Western Hindu thought, the Eastern Hindu thought, the people in India hate reincarnation because it's an endless cycle. You go into another life, to another life, to another life, till you finally get it right and get into nirvana, which is really bliss. You don't even know you exist. But he says that's where peace comes. He says, and I asked him, I said, well, listen, mankind has never proven it. Mankind proves that he is in sin, that he's getting worse. And he said, yeah, as long as there are people like you. And that's where he started getting upset. As long as they think like you think. And I was mentioning sin. And that's, he started getting upset. He was holding it down really well. I was impressed. We were going back and forth with each other. Most of the time, he said most of the stuff. And, I, you know, I would listen. So did you tell my father to take you <laughs> Let me tell you, he was the star of the day. He bought, he asked me to find him some things, and he said, yeah, that's right. We got him a T-shirt. We got him a, a book for his dad. And, the T-shirt uh, says my dad is a rat or something. It was a fisherman. It was a fisherman T-shirt. <laughs> but anyway... No, what was interesting, though, that I was afraid, yeah, I might lose a sale. No, I don't. That was, I could care less about the sale at this time. But it was his soul because now all of a sudden he was getting very irate. And he says, okay, i got to stop right here. He says, now we're going to stop. That's enough. And I said, okay. I said, I don't, I don't mean to make you angry. I really don't. He came up to the counter and he was buying that. And, I said, hey, listen, remember me. My name's Dennis. If you want to talk again, you know, I'd be glad to. But I didn't mean to offend you. But I'm thinking in the back of my mind, 
the gospel does offend people, and it did. It offended him, and I, I wasn't trying to. It's just the gospel itself does that. But yeah, it was a, polit- a, a political book that that he actually bought. A, a, it was a right wing book. I said, "Here, this right wing book. Your dad like this." But he's conservative. He said, "That's it. That's the one right there." <laughs> yeah. But he was really optimistic about it all. But like what Bill was saying, he was making it up. And as like, I kept wanting to ask, well, how do you know that that's right? That's all subjectivism. We have objective truth that's written. We have documents. And, of course, that's what I like to bring out. We have documents that no other religion has. We have like 23,000 documents that go back to, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, and, and that uh, these documents are good. They are uh, credible. And uh, if you were to compare that with the writings and you think of uh, Homer, Iliad, and Odyssey and uh, those kind of things, they might have as many as five compared to our thousands, multiple thousands. What's really sad is that there are a whole bunch of people sitting in church buildings calling themselves Baptists and Lutherans and whatever, and they believe just like that guy does. Whatever. Have you ever been to a funeral where the person doesn't go to heaven? <laughs> hmm. There's always a heaven when there's a dead person. Everybody goes. Well, they know that they have to get out of this world sometime. And their their explanation is that, okay, I have to escape. I have to escape this world. Yeah, we, we do. We do want to get out of these bodies to get to those glorified bodies, but we know where we're going. What they're reaching to is either some kind of perfect bliss. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine. Remember that song by John Lennon? He really meant that. <laughs> and what was he after? He was after a perfect place that can't happen unless God be there. And there will be the perfect place. But we imagine that there is a God. Lenin said, imagine that there is no God. Imagine there's no place for a God. And what they have there is something away from God, totally separate for eternity. (laughs) Yes. Barb. Well, don't you think, too, that there's people... I mean, it's kind of a rhetorical question because I was actually one of these people. But do you think that there's not even a, a better place afterwards. It's just yeah. you die, you that's die, it. you're buried in the ground, that's where you stay. That's comfortable. No, it's not. It's I know. Why? It's so futile. It's ridiculous. Did you ever think that way? All the time, yeah. And I even when you were religious being a Catholic? <laughs> I never was that. You weren't that good of a Catholic. I wasn't. <laughs> I thought you were. But it's like, you know, you, you go to school all your life. You grow up. You go to college. Why? So you can get a job. Why? So you can pay bills. Then you die. Wow. No, it was just futile. Really, really good. That is futile. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. It was. Now, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go any minute whenever he calls me. Yeah. I'm ready. Whenever? Whenever your time is, Lord. Like, what she's describing is... 
Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. This is where we were at. Yeah, this really describes us. I remember the first time I read that scripture, I cried. Yeah, it breaks my heart. I cried. I thought, that was me. That was me. But the people, but the people that don't believe, though, they've all found, in one way or another, they've all found their own idols. They'll either take them away or make them happy. Some people it's TV, some people it's NASCAR, some people it's alcohol, drugs, it doesn't, I mean, some people find something to help them cope with what regular <laughs> life is. They look forward to the weekend. They live five days for two. But that's you such know. a fleeting right. happiness. Right, yeah, but, but, but when you're blinded by, by Satan, you know. Sure. So what you're saying is they go from one one high to another high to, to keep them going to get them to yes. whatever it is whether it be the drugs whether it be the NASCAR whether it be Major League Baseball or whatever not that those are necessarily wrong on themselves drugs but it's a NASCAR <laughs> but of course it's right. they don't believe in God there's, there's no good either that's good to erase him yeah you're one of those sorry people that sits in a church and thinks that you're just good enough if you just don't do all that drinking and drugs and gambling and all that bad stuff. If you just try a little harder and you're just a little bit better, it's... And those people always are. They're a little bit better than the guy, other guy, right? That's the most horrible place to be, sitting in those churches trying to be good. Well, and isn't that what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 when he talks about the riches of God's grace, that we were saved by His mercy and his ex- the, those exceeding riches of what they did. So it's emphasizing His work, isn't it? And once that message is across the people, and that's what they live by, then they're humbled and they recognize what uh, what true Christianity is. So that's and that's what Paul has done. He's emphasized the grace, and he comes over here and shows where what people do. They'll do everything they can to satisfy their God to propitiate the gods or in this case the Jewish people or the people in in church who have like one of these days they'll come up to Jesus and say but Lord I did this and I did that and I did this miracle and this miracle and he says depart from me get away I I didn't even know you I don't know you if I can throw one more thing before because I know you want to get through this is that when people ask about somebody as a Christian whether they're a Christian or not, we always say, oh, yeah, he does this and this and this and this and this, and this you know. And so we list all of their works to prove, uh, you know. You yeah. know. I mean, it's yeah. so funny. It's like, oh, yeah, I know him. He does this, 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 this. He volunteers here. He does, you know. And then, yeah. Here, here's the, and, and yeah, the, and it works both ways. But here's where the deal is. The hope, glad you said that, because hope is based upon grace. Hope is not based upon what we did, although the fruit will show because of verse 10. For we are His workmanship. But we always have to say, I'm not there because I did this, or He's not there because He did this, this, and this, but because nothing but God's grace. And that's why verse 10 hinges us into the next section. Because these Gentiles actually, they had some kind of an answer for, for an afterlife whether it be nirvana, whether it be uh, some kind of escape, 
uh, or you just uh, you, you end and, and that's it, or the people in the church who think they're going to heaven, but it's not based upon grace whatsoever. Again, it's based upon their own goodness or being better than somebody. So it covers a lot of people. But what? They're, they're spiritually alienated, separate from Christ. Christ is uh, the one who's given us the grace. A poet sits, he listens, he meditates, and what does he hear? The still, sad music of humanity. And you think of Ecclesiastes where it said, Vanity of vanities. Death is but the end of man if he doesn't know Christ. Now, he will continue on, but um, that's an eternity separated from Christ. To have no hope is uh, a terrible thing. That's where uh, these people are at. That's where we were at without Christ. The next one is being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Excluded from the commonwealth. Commonwealth. It's a, a number of people that constitute or make up a community of people. A commonwealth. They have something in common. They, God had chosen people in mind, puts them together, and they had a theocracy. God is the one who is governing over all this, right? He's the one leading and ruling as He uh, blessed Israel. He protected them. He loved them. What a setup that He had. And had they done what He had um, uh, ordered for them, although that really wasn't the ultimate, but had they done that, uh, can you imagine uh, how they could have impacted the world? He gave them, them His covenants. Uh, he gave them the law, all the promises. Think of all the, the guidance that he had. And uh, I think of Psalm 147. ran across this a couple of weeks ago. And this is God taking out a group of people and making it a part of his plan that's going to help to the consummation of all the people of the world. 147.20 He has not dealt thus with any nation. He's not dealt like this with any other people. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. As for His judgments or His law, um, for who He is, those people, those nations that were outside of Israel, they didn't didn't know them. He's not done that with any other people at at that time as He had uh, dealt with Israel. And as He's going to work through them. Amos... um, Good book of Amos. I'm sure all of you started reading this uh, in the last week or two. Right? How many times have you been into Amos lately? Not lately. <laughs> Not lately. Away from me with your songs. <laughs> Amos, right? Yep. Amos 6. With those meaningless words, right? Yep. He says in verse 2, You only have I known, known, to know intimately, he knew about all the other people, didn't he? But you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Amos chapter 3. The prophet is giving the message and he's showing that Israel will be punished for their sins. But he says, you of all people, you are the ones I have intimately known out of all the families of the earth and you are the one. I have picked you. And you can go into other passages, but Gentiles were outside that circle that God had in that great relationship. And 
they didn't belong to the covenant people. They were not placed in there. They were outside the dominion of God, the very kingdom of God in that sense. So excluded from the commonwealth. They have no hope without Christ. They're excluded from the commonwealth. Then back to Ephesians, and it says, um, strangers from the covenants of promise. God made a covenant with Abraham. And he agreed with Abraham, agreed to him to bind himself to carry out his promises to Abram and then all of the seed that would come from him, his promises he would come through with. He would redeem them from sin. And then he would bless them. And you think of your Genesis 12 where he has with Abram. Again, he makes a covenant with Abram in chapter 17, uh, study of the covenants here. And Of course, you can go all the way through if you wanted to, to go to the um, Davidic covenant that he made with David. Um, of course, he had made a covenant with, with Moses as, as a gracious God that he would even give the law. Uh, but that was um, part of the, the covenant uh, where there were... Um, things that later would not pertain to people like us. But at the same time, um, there's redemption. And Jeremiah 31 is about the New Covenant. And so you see the New Covenant that's even included in the Old Testament and showing where it was pointing to. This is where it's all going to, where everybody would be included into it. No hope. True, true hope has to be based on a true what promise. It says this uh, promise... The covenants of promise. God uh, makes sure that uh, they will have that. Um, that they have meaning in life. They have security in life. You have death, and that brings on despair. Uh, matter of fact, a nothingness in, in a sense. No hope. That's that's another thing here. That just just straight no hope. Having no hope in verse twelve, it says. What's the last one? Without God in the world. Uh, kind of interesting. The word there, I don't have my marker, but it's atheos. What's a in, in the Greek? Negative, right? Without. None. Theos is what? God. So, without. No God. And that's not meaning uh, atheistic as um, we were just talking about there earlier because most of the people were not atheistic at that time. They had many gods. And you turn to, well, you remember in Acts where you have Paul in Athens and he saw that they had many, many gods. They had a god for everything, but not the true god. Um, let's go to Galatians. Just before Ephesians, Galatians 4.8, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. So those gods that they had, what are they? They don't really exist. They're not gods. But they were serving those so-called gods. They didn't know God. But they thought they did. They had their own gods. They made up their own thought of who God was. Idolatry. Is that what you were talking about earlier, Bill? There we go. 
So whether that's made up by individuals as they form their own opinions of how life is and have a what their world view is, or whether you just take it from the people that you're born with and you just, without checking it out, you say, okay, this is what we believe, so this is what I believe. Hey, this is what the church believes. This is what that church believes, so this is what I believe. This is what the pastor believes. Oh, the pastor says that, so I believe it. Well, if he's believing the right thing, that's a good thing. But what do you do if he's not believing the right thing? Anyway, we uh, people have a tendency to make their own gods. As a matter of fact, that's what they do best. First Thessalonians four thirteen. I don't want you to be... Ig- uh, that's not it. That's not it. Oh, 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 yeah, it is. Okay, it is. Yeah, there you go. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Have you been to a funeral where the person wasn't a believer and uh, most of the people there were not believers? And... If they really knew that person really well, they're very, very sad, like anybody should be, but it goes beyond just being mournful and in grief. Uh, It's because they have no hope. They carry on and carry on, and uh, they, they don't know what happens in the afterlife. That person is dead, and that's it. No hope. So, there is where... I guess we were at two. Now the next section actually starts in verse 13 and he uh, changes gears. But now, does this sound familiar? Back up to verse 4. After we see how man is depraved and there's nothing good in him, but God who is rich in mercy... Here it says, but now in Christ Jesus, there's where all the hope is at. It's always in Christ. This is where all the peace is at. It's always Christ. Christ alone. By the way, to that gentleman that I was talking to last week, I said, well, as far as my Scripture says, it says there is only one Savior, there's only one God, there is only one Creator when you think about it. And that person is Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can get to heaven. And that was like a knife cutting into him. That was very sharp. We are very narrow in our faith. And when you say to somebody who takes a different view totally, they get upset at that. That Jesus claimed this and he backed it up by his resurrection. And we have evidence even through manuscripts, even written by possibly even pagans or Jewish people who weren't Christians, possibly, tax historically. <laughs> Nobody can trust a tax collector. No. And they would be put into that story. Yeah. But now in Christ Jesus, who once, you, once were far off. I've heard of the word far out. <laughs> we were far off. <laughs> that sounds that sounds bad, doesn't it? You are far off. Away from the true God, right? Hey, uh, what did Peter say in Acts 2 whenever he preached that first sermon? 
um, Pentecost. Acts 2, so 39. For the promise is to you and to your children, and who's he speaking to first? That would be the Jews, right? That's what most of this audience is. And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Ooh, don't you like that? Eclectos. <laughs> as many as the Lord our God will call. That means this is to be offered to not only the Jews, but the Gentile, Gentiles from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And, and, and that's the, the beauty of these conversations that you have like with this gentleman is that your all your all you have to do is just present the truth. God has to do the rest. And if it is in his will that he you know and it, you think just explaining Jesus to him is offensive, try to explain to him reform reformed theology and they're like, well, wait a minute. So you're saying that you know, I mean because I mean I've said that to people and it's like, you know, no matter what I say, you are not Unless God is working on you, you are not going to. That's right. I'm, I'm not going to get through. You know. That's right. And that that freaks them out even worse. I think sometimes because then they go, well, "What do you mean?" You know. It's like, well, I've, I've already done what I've been commissioned to do, and that is to tell you the truth. And it's not up to me. Isn't it great you to know? know that? Hey, listen. I just give it out. And, I give the gospel, and I am not responsible for making this guy understand what all this means. I want to make it as simple as I possibly can at the way that it's put, but yet it's it's all up to God on this. You're also not responsible for making it mad. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you guys should have started talking to him after the sale. <laughs> well, that's what I would pray for. I mean, you guys have been there. You know what I'm talking about. It's just this this happens, and you know when they walk away, you know that uh, it's up to the Lord here. But you never know. This is what I'd pray for: that if there's anything there at all that would make them really think about it. Whenever you talk to an atheist. You're in a great position. They call themselves atheists. They're not really. But what what's great is, okay, you can ask them this. Hey, listen, okay, is it possible you could be wrong? Is it just possible you could be wrong? And they'll almost always say, well, I could be wrong. They're saying, well, what if you are wrong and what I have just given you, not me, but this this truth, what if it's right? Then what is your destiny? But what if you're right and I am wrong? What's the worst that can happen to me? You sound Jewish. What's <laughs> <laughs> the worst that can happen? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Been hanging around those Jewish people too much. <laughs> but God. But God. Spiritual intimacy with Christ and uh, we'll probably uh, break from there, but you think that we've been brought near. We'll finish that verse. We are far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's 
that's where it's at, the, the blood of Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb is to be slaughtered. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's the problem. The problem is the sin. The sin is what has to be taken care of. And people, unless they're being led by God, do not want to talk about sin because they have guilt. And they know it. They know what sin is. They hate to use the word. They hate to even think about it. And and when you when you give the law out, like, hey, listen, have you ever stolen anything? And, uh, you know, and they'll say, well, yeah, of course. What does that make you? Well, you know what it makes me. What does it make you? You know, you have a liar, okay? <laughs> and then you get them to, you know, not only a liar, but a thief, and and then um, um, whatever well, you, you know, want, you idolatry and what have you. Sin sounds so condemning. Doesn't it? You could just say they made mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Or they were wrong. That's not they love to say that, but sin is getting into a biblical term, and it's it is very precise because it's saying I have done something against uh, a holy God, and that what it's about sin, holy God, isn't that really what all of this is about? Man is sinful, God is holy, God is glorious, but when you see Him as glorious. And He is gracious. Yeah, we see our sin, but we see that it's because of that grace that takes us out of that sin. And it makes Him even, what? More glorious. Because you see where you came from. And that's what Calvin really based his whole theology on. Know God, know yourself. When you know yourself, you can know God. But when you know God, then you really start to know yourself. And you know your propensities to sin. And and so therefore you rely on his grace, not your goodness. You know, goes back to his grace, his glory. And uh, there it is, the the blood, and uh, that's that's what um, what saves us, takes us right back to the cross. We're brought near by that. Lynette. Calhoun. John Calhoun. It is not do and live, but live and do the will of God. We don't do in order to live, but we live in order to do. The life, living, is all from Christ. Now we do. Grace, a grace oriented statement. Well, Put us back into our place again. <laughs> where we came from. But we know where we're going. And we know who we are. And when you realize that there are people that don't know that, most of the world does not know where they came from. They don't know where they're at today. And they have no idea where they're going. So they just make it up. No, they don't like that because that's uncomfortable. Right. Well, yes, because especially nowadays, people have a definite aversion to any kind of authority. Mm. Any kind of authority. Whether it be the government, whether it be their husband or wife, whether it be their whatever it What is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. Lord. Yeah. Or He's King. Or He's Sovereign. They don't like to hear that either. Same thing. It puts the same ballpark.
means they're not in charge. Yep. Everybody wants to be in charge. And that's what we are to proclaim. We're and Americans. Mm, we, we can do charge. anything we want. Exactly. We don't have to listen to anybody. Free. Free. Right. 